0: So, there was a question that was asked in 1980 that has become a very well-known question. And it's the question I want to start out with today. Now, you might be wondering, well, what happened in 1980? There was this hockey game. You've heard of this, right? It was an amazing hockey game, now often called the Miracle on Ice. And it was the USA hockey team versus the USSR hockey team in the Olympics, And the USSR had won the last five out of six gold medals. And the USA hockey team was a heavy, heavy underdog. But you remember what happened. In the end, they won four to three. And they didn't win the gold medal at that point. There was still another game to be played. They went to play Finland a a few days later. But right at the end, with a few seconds left, Al Michaels, the broadcaster, said, Do you believe in miracles? Remember that? Do you believe in miracles? And that's my question for you. Now, I'm not just talking about amazing sporting events, or like if the Vikings someday could win the Super Bowl, which maybe would be a a miracle, but... Do you believe in miracles? Now, some of you might say yes. 100% I've experienced miracles in my own life or I've seen them in other people's lives. But there are others of us here who might say, I'm not so sure. You know, I prayed and I prayed for something to happen and nothing happened. You know, I really needed a miracle for my mother, maybe for a child, maybe even for my own marriage, and that miracle never happened. I'm not sure if I believe in miracles. Now when you read the Bible, of course, from page one on, you see miracle after miracle that takes place. Especially when we get to the Gospels, we see Jesus do amazing miracle after amazing miracle. And so we have to wonder, you know, are those actual things that took place, or are they just nice stories that we tell? And I've read a lot of different opinions and a lot of different theologians and a lot of scholars. And today there's, there's a whole school of the, theologians who say, you know, there's a natural explanation behind these miracles. You know, Jesus fed the 5,000, but remember the little boy brought his loaves and fishes. And what maybe happened is it inspired the generosity of the rest of the crowd. And so they kind of added in and it wasn't really a miracle. It was just kind of a nice natural happening or you know when when uh, demons were cast out of people well they didn't really know everything we know about medicine and so it was probably epilepsy or something of the like or you know you know jesus is said to have raised people from the dead and again they didn't have hospitals like we do and so maybe they were just kind of dead you know maybe they were still just sleeping away or in a coma and so there's all these theologians that try to say miracles probably aren't real. There's always a rational, logical explanation. And it reminds me of a story that maybe you've heard before about a little boy who was yelling, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And there was an older man who was kind of puzzled by this and he thought I need to go set this kid straight And so he came and he asked the kid why are you saying hallelujah why are you praising the Lord and the little boy said well I was in Sunday school on Sunday and we learned about the story of how God parted the Red Sea so the Israelites could walk across on dry land well this man said well little boy you, you realize there was a drought in the land and so there was probably like two inches of water and so you know there's a natural explanation And right away, the little boy said, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And this man is frustrated now. Like, I just explained this to you. He said, how could you say hallelujah? And the little boy said, I'm praising God because he was able to drown the Egyptian army in two inches of water. (laughs) (laughs) Got to be careful before you think you've got the answer to everything, right? So do you believe in miracles? Did they really happen back in biblical times? And do they still happen today? Now the Bible carefully documents these miracles, frequently refers back to them, and gives a list of eyewitnesses, oftentimes. Peter, Paul, and most importantly Jesus himself believed that these miracles happened. And that really matters. Right? We always say, if someone can predict their death and resurrection, you should probably go with whatever they say, right? But how about today? Do miracles still happen today? Because I think one of the hardest things for us to understand is, why do miracles, if they happen today, seem so random? Why do they seem so arbitrary? Why do they happen for one person? and not another. Sometimes we pray, and we pray, and we pray, and things don't get better. And not only that, the person we're praying for might be one of the nicest, most faithful, most Christ-like people we know. In fact, in the past year, two close friends of mine, just godly, incredible women, both Died at an incredibly young age. One was a classmate of mine at Concordia and then at Luther Seminary, and she ended up in the hospital about a year ago with a heart condition and never came out of it. And she left behind her husband, twin four year olds, and a two year old. She was only 40 years old. She had thousands of people praying for her. There were prayer services at her church and at other churches, yet there was no miracle. Well, then there's another woman that I know just in the past couple weeks. She was the wife of a pastor friend of mine down in Northfield. And she's had cancer for a while, and suddenly it came on just super aggressive. Again, tens of thousands of people were praying for her all over the world. There were prayer services circling her house. And yet she passed away two weeks ago and left behind five children under the age of 14, only 37 years old. So if miracles are real, and God is able, well then, why didn't he? What's the story? I mean, these are two of the most godly women that I know. Is God just completely arbitrary? Is he just completely random? Or is there something else going on? Well, what I want to do today is to maybe help you understand how God uses miracles in a little different way to see how he works through them and how he works in our world. And one of the people that I credit with a lot of my learning on this is a pastor named Carrie Newhoff up in Toronto, Canada. Now as we start, there are four different words in Greek in the Gospels used for miracle. But there are two that are especially important. And if you look at your note sheet, they're in there, in case you want to remember later. Or maybe you're on Jeopardy someday and these might come in handy. The first one is the word dunamis. And dunamis is the word that is the root for our word dynamite and dynamic. And it really means power. Oftentimes when there is a miracle, it spotlights God's power. When Jesus steps in in the Gospels and he does something miraculous, it shows the people around His amazing power. There's another Greek word, semion. And semion means sign. It's also used to describe miracles because oftentimes miracles become a sign. They point to something else. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Now think about when you go on vacation or you go to a destination. How often do you Aim at your destination, and then when you see the sign with the arrow on it, do you stop and take a picture of the sign and then just go home? Usually doesn't happen, right? Imagine if you were bringing your kids to Disney World, and you finally see the one that has the arrow this way to Disney World. And you say, kids, let's look at the sign, and let's go home. Or how about if you set up your tent right in front of the sign? It'd be awfully disappointing, wouldn't it? You see, signs always point to something greater. There's a sign that shows us the way to the amusement park, to the restaurant, to whatever the destination is. And with that in mind, the definition that I want to use today and to talk about that we see throughout Scripture is that miracles are signs that point to something greater. Miracles are signs that point to something greater. Miracles aren't an end unto themselves. Miracles aren't even the main point. Miracles are signs that point us to something greater. And to help understand this, I want to look a little more in depth at our scripture reading today, the story of Jesus and then Peter walking on the water from Matthew 14. So let's look again at the story. It says, immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. Stop for a moment. Jesus sent everybody home. If the main point of Jesus' ministry was to do miracles, was to heal people, That's probably not what you would want to do, right? You wouldn't want to dismiss the crowd. You'd want to gather the crowd. Yet, he sent the people home. And after sending them home, he went up in the hills by himself to pray. And night fell while he was still alone. And many, many times in the gospel we read this pattern. All kinds of people come from all over the countryside. And they gather around Jesus, and they're hungry to hear him and to touch him and to experience him, and yet he sends them away, and he goes off by himself. Now, if Jesus' mission was to do miracles and to heal every single person, this is not a very good pattern. right? He should really never be alone. He should probably be working 24 hours a day, yet again and again he dismisses the crowd He goes off by himself to pray and recharge and comes back to his ministry. It's clear that Jesus had a very different focus for his ministry than just performing miracles. Now, in verse 24, it says, Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble, far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. Now, sometimes we conclude or we think that miracles must depend on how much faith we have. You know, if it doesn't happen, it must be something wrong with us. You know, you have to believe harder. You have to deserve it more. It's all on us. But here we have the disciples who are traveling with Jesus 24 hours a day. They're his faithful followers. They're soaking in all of his teaching, and yet even they experience storms. Even they have trials and tribulations. These men of great faith, these men who are Jesus' closest friends, life isn't always smooth. They're facing the storms just like we do. So it says about 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified, and in their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Now imagine you're one of the disciples for a moment, and this whole emotional roller coaster you're on because one moment you are absolutely terrified and fearing for your life and the next moment you see Jesus walking on water and you have no category for this. Like You've never seen this or ever thought of this before. It's before special effects and so they just don't even know what to say other than the logical conclusion, he must be a ghost. But Jesus, always being gentle and kind and loving, has these great words. And again, he says these kind of things again and again throughout the Gospels to show his character and his heart for the people he loves. He says, don't be afraid. It's exactly what they needed to hear. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. Now, there's something you need to know about that phrase that Jesus says. When he says, I am here, in the Greek, there's actually no here. That was added later. What Jesus actually says is, I am. Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am. Now, why is that a big deal? It's because it's a direct correlation Back to when Moses spoke to God in the burning bush. Do you remember that story? Moses is having a conversation with God, and he asks God, what is your name? And God says, I am who I am. He says, my name is I am, which is a really strange name, right? But what it's getting at is that God is bigger than labels. He's bigger than names. He can't be summed up in one word. You know, think about how we use names and titles to control things, to describe things, to put them in a box. And God is saying, you are never gonna put me in a box. I'm bigger than anything and everyone. And so just call me I am. And now Jesus is saying I am, Jesus is saying, I'm God in the flesh. Now, remember, the disciples are good Jewish boys, and they are, this is not lost on them at all. Right away, they make the connection, Jesus is God. You see, this is about more than just an amazing miracle. It's really communicating to them and to us who Jesus is. So Peter, in the next part of the passage, calls out to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified, and he began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. And Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. I love Peter. He never holds back. He's all in. He's ready to go. He's over the side of the boat, and he wants to do what Jesus is doing. He wants to walk on the water, and everything is going well for just a moment until he takes his eyes off Jesus. He notices the waves. It suddenly dawns on him, what in the world am I doing? This isn't even possible, and he starts to sink. But we need to notice that the point of this story is not Peter walking on the water. The point of this story is not to get us to walk on the water. The point of the story is not to create another sacrament in the church where we all gather at a lake and all try to walk on water. Again, miracles are signs that point to something greater. Peter doesn't go join the circus and show everyone how he can walk on water. In fact, this is the only case in Scripture that we see anyone walking on water. Miracles are signs that point to something greater. Now, before we move on, one of my very favorite words in all of Scripture just came in this passage, and that's the word immediately. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and grabbed him. You see, this miracle is pointing to some bigger and more important truths. Jesus is present in the storm. Jesus is with us. Whatever we're going through. And not only that, he is working. He's there. He's active and alive. He doesn't wait for Peter to say the magic words, pretty please. He doesn't wait to see if Peter's qualified or if he deserves it enough. He doesn't wait to see if Peter prays harder. No, it says immediately he reaches out his hand and grabs him. You see, this is way bigger and more important than just a one-time miracle. It's about who Jesus is and what he's able to do. Jesus is God in the flesh who's come into our broken world. And not only that, he's come to rescue us. He's come to rescue you and me. Our job is to simply trust, to have faith, And the thing is, it's faith even the size of a mustard seed, which is the smallest little speck you can imagine. Now Jesus says to Peter, you have so little faith, why did you doubt me? He doesn't say you have no faith, he says you just have a little faith. And he doesn't give up on Peter because Jesus is about to do something greater than walking on the water, which is giving up his life on the cross And not only that, three days later, he is raised again from the dead. And he defeats death and Satan and evil and sin once and for all. And after that, he says he's going to build his church. And who does he say is going to lead that church? Peter, right? Maybe the least suspecting, the least likely person who at least had a mustard seed of faith. You know, one of the reasons that we're even gathered here today, in this moment, in this place, is because of Peter. Because Peter went with the other apostles, he shared the gospel far and wide, and he built the church, just like Jesus said. Well, then comes the very most important part of the story, in verses 32 and 33, It says, when they climbed back in the boat, the wind stopped, and then the disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. See, this whole story is pointing us to that truth. You really are the Son of God. If you take nothing else away from that passage, that's what we need to take away. Miracles are signs that point to something greater. Jesus is the Son of God. And our calling is to respond to that truth with faith, to trust in him with all of who we are. You know, if we all just try to walk on water every day, we're gonna miss out on the best part, that God entered history so that we could have a relationship with him. Now, in Mark chapter one, there's another story that mirrors this one, and I'll just go through this one quick, but just to show that it's a common theme. I love the Gospel of Mark because it's full of action. It's one thing after another, just one story after another. So, Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist in the River Jordan. Immediately after that, he goes and casts a demon, an evil spirit out of a man, and people are intrigued. In Matthew 1, or Mark 1, 28, it says, the news about Jesus spread to the entire region of Galilee. It's like the states. The whole state has heard about him at this point. And at the next story, it says, he heals many more people. So then in verse 33, five verses later, it says, the whole town has gathered at the door to watch. He's picking up people day by day, hour by hour. And then in verse 35, so we're only 10 verses in. He goes off to be by himself again. Sends the crowds away. Goes to an isolated place to pray. And I love how Peter and the disciples go and find him and they say, everybody is looking for you. Have You ever had your kids say that to you? Everybody's looking for you. You try to just take a moment to yourself. Word has gotten out that Jesus is able to heal. He's able to do miracles, and the crowds are gathering. But I want you to see his reply in verse 38. We're going to put it up on the screen. Jesus says, yes, we must go to other towns as well. I will preach to them too. Here's the key. That's why I came. All right, all the healings, casting out evil spirits, that's all great. It's not why you came. He says, I'm going to preach to them. I'm going to tell them the good news of who I am because that's why I came. That's his mission. He came to preach the good news, to tell us the truth about ourselves, that we are sinful, broken human beings. We have no hope apart from him. Yet God entered into our world as a man, Fully God, fully man. And he gave up his life on the cross. He was the perfect Passover lamb. He gave up his life for our sins. And he came to do that so we could be set free and so we could have hope. Miracles are signs that point to something greater. Well, I want you to remember three things when it comes to miracles today. Three important things. First, be open to God working naturally and miraculously. You know, sometimes people focus so much on supernatural miracles that they miss how God is working within our natural world and how he likes to heal and help even through natural means. For myself, I take medicine every single day for seizures. I've had them since I was a kid. I've prayed and prayed often to have God take these seizures away from me, but meanwhile, I take my medicine every day. And when I do, they're completely managed. I take that back. There was one time I didn't take my medicine, and it was right after Lexi and I got married, so about 17 years ago. I thought, "Yeah, I'll just stop taking my meds. And one night I had a grand mal seizure in my sleep, and my wife said, don't you ever do that again. You see, while maybe I haven't experienced supernatural healing yet, and I'm open to it if God wants to heal me in that way, I'm going to continue to take my medicine. I'm going to continue to see how he works through the natural world. I think we need to be open to miracles, but also how God can use doctors and nurses, medicine, science, all of those things to accomplish his will. Be open to God working both in the natural world and miraculously. Number two, God tells us to pray about anything and everything. He says, pray without ceasing. We should pray about every single storm and every single problem, but we should always pray for God's will to be done. We say that in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus taught us to pray in this way. Always pray for God's will to be done. Now, We have our own will, of course. I mean, I know how I would like things to go. We often have our own plans. But we need to always pray for God's will to be done. You can pray boldly for miracles. He tells us to do so. We get to enter the throne room of God. It's one of our privileges as children of God. But sometimes his will looks different than ours. Sometimes the way he intervenes or works in our world is different than we would like. There's a really hard truth we have to remember. And that's that ultimately, healing comes fully when we pass away from this world and go to be with God forever. We'll never be fully healed in this world. Ultimate healing comes when we pass away into the next And he says, he promises there'll be no more tears and no more pain and no more suffering. Can God still do miracles today? Absolutely. I've witnessed them. Maybe you have too. Keep your eyes open for how God is choosing to work in your life and other people's lives and in this world. But always, always stay focused on Jesus. Jesus don't get sidetracked, don't lose focus. At the end of the Gospel of John, there's this great little passage that I think sums up our final point. John gives the stories of seven different miracles, sign miracles that point to Jesus. And at the end of the Gospel of John, It says, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. In fact, in John chapter 20, it says, if everything was put into book form, it would fill every volume on earth. It's a lot of stuff. So if we had every sign and every miracle Jesus did, it wouldn't even fit. But he says, but these are written so that you may believe. The reason that Jesus did miracles is so that we might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Remember, miracles are signs that point to something greater. And here it is, Jesus' miracles point us to who he is and what he has done. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and if you believe in him, if you put your faith in him, you will have forgiveness, and you will have grace, and you will have new life, and you will have new, a new future, and you will have the promise of eternal life. And you know what? Isn't that the greatest miracle of all? Amen? Amen? I want to invite Pastor Jose up at this point, and he's got something that he wants to share with you all.
1: Well, stranger things happen, right? (laughs) And one of the stranger things is that um, this past week, I don't remember exactly what day, my mind is in our place, I got a phone call, and it was really strange, and it was really exciting, um, because um, I got offered a position at Bethel University. Um, I accepted the offer, and I'm going to become the Associate Dean of Intercultural Programs uh, starting on August 12th. Uh, I'll be here for the rest of September, and I think a letter is going to be sent out tomorrow. But I just want to take this brief moment to thank you uh, for your prayers, your support, for everything you have been done and doing and will continue doing for the Spanish ministry and for my family and for Calvary. I uh, am excited about what God has for Calvary in these in um, coming months, in the fall. But I just want to take this quick moment to uh, say personally thank you and that um, God had opened this door for me and for my family at Bethel University. Thanks.
0: Yeah. Uh, While this is sad news for Calvary, we're also excited for Jose and his family. It sounds like a great opportunity for them and a great use of his gifts and his experience. And so continue to lift them up in prayer. And we're so thankful that he agreed to stay through September so that we can um, just continue on and see the great things that God's doing. So why don't we pray for Jose and his family right now? Uh, God, we're so thankful for who you are and how you sent Jesus for each one of us. God, I thank you for Jose and his ministry here at Calvary. Thank you for his gifts and his talents, his dedication to you, for the difference that he's made in so many lives. And God, we just bless him as he takes this new call. We know that you have great things in store for him and for Tara and their kids. And God, we just ask that you would continue to multiply his ministry, help him to make just an incredible difference for you and students' lives at Bethel. And again, we're so thankful for all that he's done for this church and for all of us. And so, God, we trust him and his whole family to your care in Jesus' name.